0: directing opera. On September 25, 1996, David Diamond, then executive director of SDCF, moderated a panel about directing opera. Panelists included James Graves, Mark Lamos, Rhoda Levine, and Lillian Garrett-Grogue. Hello, I'm director Pam Berlin, and you are listening to SDCF Masters of the Stage, This program is produced by the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation and presented by the American Theatre Wing. The SDCF has released these archives in an effort to further education regarding the crafts of direction and choreography. Because this program was not initially recorded for the purpose of broadcast, it is not of the highest technical quality. Portions of the conversation may have been edited to improve the overall quality of the broadcast.
1: The first, the first question that I, I'd like to just start, start immediately uh, and ask a two-part question, one that, that sort of comes from my own personal experience, the first part of this question. Uh, a number of years ago, as a, a young university theater faculty member, director who was sort of known for being somebody that directed a lot of musicals, uh, I was called into my dean's office And he said, uh, we were a college of fine arts with music and visual art. And he said, uh, James, the music department wants to do the Tenderland. And I know you've done lots of musicals, so I'm going to assign you to direct it. That's okay, isn't it? And I said, oh, sure. And I didn't know what I was getting into. But uh, that started my brief career as an (laughs) opera director. Uh, So the first part of my question is, how, how did it happen for you? How did you start? What was your first experience and what was it like? And then the second half of that question does relate to their their bios. I, I, I really went through their bios very carefully as I typed up the program and I was amazed that uh, all of them wear, wear some of the same hats. Some wear hats that others don't wear. Uh, they're all stage directors, but one, two, or... All three of them are also artistic directors, teachers, actors, writers, and writers of plays, of opera libretti, of children's books, television directors, choreographers, uh, and most pertinent to today's program, opera directors. Uh, So the second half of the question, first, how did you start? The second half is, why? Why Why do you choose to direct opera? What are the joys that that come to you uh, doing this particular thing, when you've obviously got plenty of them on your plate. You don't have to do any one of them. So let's just start. Rhoda, would you I like to start? Go. Well,
2: I started as a choreographer, and I used to do sort of, well, I was assistant to a man named Joe Leighton, who you may know here. And uh, and I worked a lot with, I was a dancer. I worked with Anna Sokolow and Doris Humphrey, and I studied with Martha Graham and, many, many other people, Ben Harvey who's now up at Juilliard. And then I got, against my will, I started choreographing at a place called Group 20 with a director named Elliot Silverstein. And the first, uh, the, my first star I ever worked with, who later became my acting teacher, was a man named Max Adrian, who you can still hear on recordings of Candide. And Max was wonderful, terrified that he'd have to dance. And I also worked for David Susskind helping people who are afraid to dance. But the help went like this. Farley Granger has to do it, Kozatsky, and he can't do it. So I say, well, why don't you sit in a chair, and uh, what do you think it looks like? And he'd go, and I said, you can do it, that's it. And so what it was was, as Patsy Birch, who was a colleague of mine, says, uh, all you have to do is just stand around and tell everybody it's all right and understand <laughs> that, that people who are actors who may not have had dance training, you know. But quickly, I went, uh, I was uh, uh, hired to go to Spoleto in Italy uh, to choreograph for a gentleman who I adored named Lucchino Visconti. And I did Traviata and I remember doing it with him and he said to me and the, be- the best praise you can get from Lucchino in the Italian, in general, you'll tell me I'll say it wrong, but he would say, you uh, would say, well,
3: what do you think?
2: Terrified because you're about you know, 10 years old and he says, non ce which means he's not bad. <laughs> and, uh, he, and he was great and he told me that he believed that I should be an opera director and I told him because I worked on Broadway, that I believed I should certainly not be. And he said, yes, you should. And I watched him work with people, and he made me, I happen to love poetry. I love literature, It's, and I'm a, a voracious reader. And I found in Lucchino a literate man, and a man of, who was a true gentleman. He taught me how to be a gentleman. And the way he worked with people was absolutely the way I hope that I do. He was a wonderful man. Later, I came back to the States, and I was choreographing for the National Company, and I met another director, a German director, named Gunter Rennert, uh, who told me I had to do a ballet in Chen And I said, don't be silly. It's not a dream ballet like Agnes would do, because people act out who they are. And, you know, in Oklahoma, people used to act out what they were dreaming or thinking. And he said, no, no, you'll do it. So I did it. And you know what? He was right. It was a wonderful thing to add to that piece. He used a Rossini Quartet. And gradually I started doing that, and then I began working with, uh, I had the great good fortune in my life. I have worked with some of the greatest people on earth. Uh, I worked with uh, a man named Luciano Berio, with whom I have written a piece, actually, and Bruno Moderna, and many contemporary sort of oddball stuff. And then I got pulled into directing in Brussels, and then I met a man in Holland who I fell in love with and lived there for 14 years. And I directed, I had the great good fortune to work at subsidized opera companies in, in France, in uh, Scotland, in England. And I, I've been very lucky to have had that experience because our experience here is very different. And when it's always struggling, i just say to Mark, the last piece I did at City Opera, which is three and a half hours, we had two and a half weeks to do. And that is with a full chorus, a conductor who unfortunately was dying. It was a very, it, you cannot get what you hope for. And so it's very hard, and it's largely about money and not having it. And then you have the frustrations of, big spaces. I mean, that space is a tyranny. Like, I don't know how you feel about it, but I think the Met is a tyranny of an opera house in space. It's like like doing something at St. Peter's, actually. And uh, so anyway, that's how I got into it. And I feel very happy to do that because I find liberty meaningful. I find them about my life. And also because I'm a very political person. I have had... And working with contemporary composers like Anthony Davis, I have had the great good fortune to do Malcolm X, Diesel and pieces that I think are about our lives. That's it.
4: I was um, an actor for a long time. Before that, I was a violinist. I went to Northwestern University on a violin scholarship, in fact. So I was training as a musician, moved into theater, and uh, and after about a decade acting professionally, I was offered, out of the blue, really, a chance to direct some Shakespeare plays, two Shakespeare plays at a new company that was starting in California in the, in the uh, San Joaquin Valley. Insane situation, but they turned out to be pretty, pretty good, and um, while that summer was happening, I got asked if I would ever be interested in doing an opera, and I couldn't say yes fast enough, because I'd always liked opera, having having really fallen in love with it as a kid, I loved all the stories, and Carmen was the first big, you know, Christmas present I got that I really remember, and play, playing and learning every word of it, when I was in third grade or whatever. Um, and so I said yes, and the opera was, you know, and of course it was like, how you get all your jobs, five other people said no first or were unavailable. Um, But it was a new work by John Harbison called Winter's Tale. And uh, it was at San Francisco Opera's kind of... It was a program that that they had just instituted that they got some funding for in the days of funding. This was 1978, um, when things like this were funded, new works, young singers. And... um, that was the first opera I did and uh, I loved every minute of it it was a new work Uh, uh, it was a series of tableaus he'd he'd arranged the libretto himself it was a series of tableaus from Shakespeare's play and um, uh, then I then I just directed theater for a long time and then slowly got asked to do a few things Santa Fe St. Louis neither of those were very happy marriages and um I kind of thought I'd never do another opera again, and then I started getting asked to do more new work, Argento, uh, both here and in Sweden, and that started to lead to, uh, actually it didn't lead to anything. Paul Kellogg saw <laughs> Paul Kellogg saw a production I did at the Lincoln Center of Shakespeare's Measure for Measure, liked what he saw, called me up, said, uh, in 1980, 1989, he said, I want you to do something at this little opera company in Cooperstown, either La Boheme or uh, uh, Intermezzo. So my first thought was, well, I'll I'll do Intermezzo. And I listened to Intermezzo, you know, the the first hour of Intermezzo.
1: Okay, yeah.
4: And then I listened to the first four bars of Boheme. (laughs) And I thought, you know, no contest. (laughs) Um, And... That has that proved to be a very happy association, and my work there for the last six years has miraculously led to other things, and um, and so my opera my opera work has now superseded my straight theater work, uh, and and uh, it's 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 a tussle to keep them both active. But it's interesting because this very first opera, the John Harbison piece, uh, John. Let's commissioned by the Met to do an opera uh, for the millennium 1999-2000 season and asked for me to direct it. And we haven't worked together since this last, since 78. So it was sort of, you know, I thought, my God, there is, you know, there, you do make contacts and you do make connections with people and time goes by and boom, out of the blue, you know, he said, would you be interested in doing this? I said, sure would. So we're working together again now.
5: Um, I've, I've only been directing opera for about three years it's 93 um, I and the way it came about was I um, was hired to write the Spanish libretto to a new opera called Bolivar by Mia Musgrave which was commissioned by the LA City Opera and um, the Scottish Opera for de Domingo and uh, while and that took about four or five years <laughs> was writing and translating and adapting and all that. While it was going on, the um, uh, artistic director of the Virginia Opera and uh, Peter Hemings had a chance to see my other work as a director on stage. And we had long, long conversations about opera because I was born in Argentina of an Italian mother and an Austrian father. So opera was pop at home.
3: Mm -hmm.
5: I I knew the repertory backwards and forwards in the languages since I was four years old. I just knew it like the back of my hand. And I had had piano and uh, serious music lessons, of course, since I was five years old. Mm-hmm. So at one point, they came to see a FEDO that I had done in Seattle, and they said, well, why don't you direct opera? You know the stuff, you know music, and you, you can speak the languages, and you know the material. You don't have to learn it. You already know it. And I thought, well, I <laughs> one thing is to have 20 people on stage and I think it's to have 300 people <laughs> on stage <laughs> and um, I, they gave me in the Virginia Opera the guy said so I'm going to give you Tosca <laughs> how a good time <laughs> <laughs> and they gave me uh, Tosca with a double cast which was a nightmare and 80 people and children in <laughs> <laughs> the chorus and it went very well and like Mark said I have not stopped directing opera and it's taken over my stage work, and it, um, although I have to, I mean, because I act and I write, and it, it, it gets a little difficult there, and to, to keep everything going, uh, just with the right proportion, but that, mostly I have been directing opera in the past three years, and then in next year, as it looks like, it's going to be mostly opera, yet. but that's basically how it happened. It's only been since 1993 that I actually... Gotten my grubby little hands on some poor singers <laughs> <laughs> and put them on stage <coughs> to work. Yeah.
6: Do you think it's necessary to speak the lang- all the languages that you're directing? Is it possible to learn that? Or well, think I
2: think you must literally know. Now, there are language, my language skills are totally dreadful, but i work in German, God, uh, uh, cause uh, I, I, a lot of languages, and what happens with me is I do, I know Italian, I know it, but I, the, if you were terrified, let me tell you, the first year I went to Soletto, which I worked for many years at, uh, I could only say, Dove il gabinetto, which means, where's the ladies room? And I really had the help of the cast, and people, I in Holland, where I worked for many, many years, and in Belgium, the Dutch speak mainly English. Uh, you must know word for word everything you do. Without that you, you just misrepresent a librettist and a composer. And it's it's difficult and it's very difficult to do. I'm very bad with languages, but somewhere I muddle along and I uh, deal with it. But it takes a lot of work. And I know I, I get translations. I did a, the most wonderful 20th century opera on heard called Lulu and I had absolute. And then you ask the cats for help. When I did Malcolm X, I had, I grew up, for instance, with a family that uh, we had, I thought everybody had inter, what they call interracial friends, but I never grew up black in America. And I would say to the company, you must help me, and if I screw up, you must speak to me and tell me. And in a way, it was like speaking a different language, and they—and I was very proud of myself because I only guessed for all the ones. I asked someone to do something that was absolutely inappropriate for any, probably man, forget black man, but man to do. And so I think I have to ask for help. But I do, and people give it. And uh, I try never to speak French in front of anyone, because <laughs> it, it, it makes me scream with laughter, and then I scream with laughter. <laughs> Can I Oh, I, I'm sorry, I don't mean, but I must tell you a very funny story. When I was in school, night, though, I was doing it. Oh, Thomas Shivers was conductor and uh, directed his first play and Mr. Manotti got panicked because he'd never directed and Tommy thought that you always stayed on the left side of the stage if you were a bad character. <laughs> <laughs> it was terrifying. Sinister. This, the left. And it's a 19th century idea. And when you'd say, but there's the garden, why doesn't Desdemona... And he'd say, she can't go on the left side of the stage, she's good. And you had to sort of justify, had me and an Italian young person helping. But in the end, the tenor and the soprano were fighting and fighting. Tony Walton decided to say, and they, she, they were under a cape, and he was going like this, and she was going like this all through the opening, the love director. And we always had to stand him, much like when Alfred Drake was uh, performing, when it was sort of adjusted for height. Was the Italian man? Was it Oh, oh, yes, he was. was. But uh, he was swell. I to... And um, so I came. This is what happens when you have <laughs> bad language skills. Tommy was a very beautiful man, and the Italian press loved him. And so after anything he did, they swarmed about him, and I ran in and I said, "Sent miracolo." That, I meant miracle, and I said asshole. <laughs> and he said what? And I repeated it. And every they were all falling out laughing. And I said, Why didn't you stop me? And he said, I didn't really because you were right. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was, very embarrassing, very embarrassing. It was really embarrassing my friends. But you speak about language.
4: I rely on brilliant assistants <laughs> to speak the language um, uh, when I have to. I, I don't but I haven't worked that much in, in other countries. Usually they speak English, and I apologize a lot. But uh, I speak a little German, and I'm doing Wotzek at the Met this season, so I'll, you know, be able to get by. But I'm told that the Germans in the company actually speak English, so so I'm not um, I'm not terribly worried about it. But it is, you know, it still means you sit there with the German dictionary and every little word and why it's why it's in that in that. S- why syntactically it's that way how uh, how it's put to music I mean that all I think is some of the most fascinating stuff you get to do yeah. but you know you could have an international yes. career yes. Yes. except I, I mean I incredible. want to. like, except like Zambello she works everywhere because she can speak I mean, French I mean, I and Russian <laughs> and, I know, and I
5: don't speak
4: Russian yeah I mean you speak like Italian and oh,
5: German. Pretty but pretty yeah, I tell really you good. I had a Czech baritone uh, uh, this is what's tough <laughs> I had a Czech baritone for flying Dutchman And he said he spoke German. And I noticed he smiled and nodded a lot. He He smiled a lot. And I thought, I I don't think he knows what I'm saying. Maybe my German isn't all that good anymore. Because, you know, German is tough. And I'm very comfortable with everything else. German is tough for me. I have to. So I got a German and said, am I saying this wrong to someone? And I said, would you want to just take him out for a drink and chat? He comes back and says, yeah, he's a big German. He just knows the lines to the opera. But he didn't speak. And he spoke none of the languages that I spoke. I said, well, he sung uh, Don Carlos, so let's talk in Italian. And yeah. I got to tell you that I couldn't direct it. He he, we found a, a waiter who was a little <laughs> Czech waiter, <laughs> young 19-year-old, <laughs> <laughs> who didn't know from Wagner, who didn't know, I would say, uh, stage, right, stage, left. All of that had to be explained to him. But anything complicated, and what took him with the Flying Dutchman, anything that was slightly, was incommunicable, and I basically had a stick of wood in the middle of the stage for the entire opera, smiling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the wood. I could a not. Happy Dutchman. <laughs> he, he was a happy one. Oh, he was a happy Dutchman. <laughs> and the other thing, and that was easier because it was it did involve Italian, is that a lot of the singers don't know the languages. And I had a Tosca who had no idea what she was saying no. in Act Two, and no idea what was happening between herself and Scarpia in the middle of Act Two, in in a crucial moment when he says. Uh, a moment to you, what's a moment to you? Uh, I'll give yes. you a life for a moment, basically, when he you know, bargains over, over Mario's life. And uh, she didn't know what she was saying, and I didn't realize she didn't know what she was saying until, I just thought she was undirectable until about the week before, and I said, I, I, I don't know what you're doing. Why are you doing that? <laughs> she didn't know. And then to, so to communicate that to singers that really don't <laughs> speak the language is is why... It's, it's come useful I also think that Americans are terrified of languages When they don't need to be It's a skill like any other skill you learn it in And if you put your mind to it an hour a day Because they used to teach languages You can learn it It's no big deal Americans are, have been terrified by the Europeans About languages And they don't need to be I, I think if you're going to direct opera Absolutely learn Learn Italian at least Because you can communicate And it's not a hard thing to do Just take some time
4: you know what I like, though, about not... The one thing I like about not speaking any of those languages...
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: is that, is that you, you, take, you, you take directing right back to mimesis, and you're saying to a tenor, now, you know, watch me. You know,
5: and you have to say
4: And you then play the scene. or I mean, I've done this. And, and, and they're, if they're... You know, because musical minds work differently than actor minds work because they have notes going through their minds and motivation and they're watching the conductor so everything is really much more like for me at any rate putting. it's like kabuki you know this gesture will look this way, this will look another way this will look this way if you take it on this note, on this note, it won't look that way you know and if you can sort of feed it in to a foreign someone who's a foreigner um... And they're receptive to that. And you can kind of act it a little bit. I've had very good experiences. I still need someone to sort of say various words that are three or four syllable words or conceptual words or answer his questions. But I like having to kind of go onto another track. Because, you know, directing actors, you can just yap till you die. Yes, you can just absolutely just right. talk till you drop. Which <laughs> I don't do too much anymore. But... but um, you know, you, you talk and you never see it.
5: It evaporates.
4: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I find with, with directing singers, it releases me from having to verbalize <coughs> everything because verbalizing things anyway, I think, is sort of a meaningless task in our art form. You know, the long speech before the first rehearsal, for instance, of something I'm giving up, you know. Because it just, what does it do? It doesn't help them. You know, it just shows that you did your homework. <laughs> 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 Bro- I, do, I, do, I just follow. want to say
2: something. As a, non, as a one-time choreographer, I don't do any of that. Uh, I really am interested in letting actors truly make choices. The only difference is that their emotional time is, that is uh, dictated by Mozart mm-hmm. or by Albin Berg or whoever. Mm-hmm. But I do want to say one thing about languages, in case any of you go to Europe, because I learned this to my sorrow. I was doing From the House on the Dead of Janacek in Holland. It was the first time I'd worked there. and Januszczyk. Yeah. I'm sorry, in Dutch. Uh, and um, I did, you know, we have four generations of lighting designers. The English have three, the Germans have three, the Dutch have barely one. So that as a director, you light the show with an electrician. And you have to be very clear. And what I found I had to do was light, uh, not with stimmung, but just area light. So we went through this, and they and I'd say, well, don't we need some stagehands or actors to work? No, no, no. And we got to dress
3: rehearsal. Oh yeah. And
2: I had led everything backwards. Which leads went to a sense of paranoia because in Holland stage right is house right, not actors right. In Belgium there's Jardin Court. In England there's prompt and off prompt. And in South Africa, uh, I can't remember where it was in South Africa, but I, I must tell you yeah, and I had a, a colleague, who I'm sure you all know, but his name I forgot who came through to Amsterdam. This is after I had had my ordeal by fire. This poor man who was a Broadway director came to me. I watched Showboat, and I watched the light go down on, on Rebecca Lukers and come up on space. And he said, do they hate me? And I must say that that was my first thought. You absolutely become paranoid, because everything you've done has been totally undermined. So that if you do go to another country, do remember to find out. <laughs> aside, 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 I mean, I, uh, Lydia is so lucky to have these skills with language, but also we have to understand that the world ain't us, and so it's uh, and that's what makes it interesting. But I just didn't want to say that about about, it's not only language. Also, if you're a
5: woman and you're small, learn in every language to say to the tech director, I'm running this show, your ass is grass, unless you do what I'm telling you. You must, I'm not kidding, you must, especially if they bear tattoos, you have to show up If you're a woman and and if you're semi-young and small in stature, you have to say... Do this or you die. <laughs> in every language in your mind. Then they'll respect you, but it's just to make that first contact with the I with the tech the those tech guys. I've got another way, which is ask
2: them what they think. I'm five foot two, I'm short, and I run around in, in sneakers usually. And so I remember the first time I came to the Netherlands opera, the cab driver asked me where I went to go and it's called the Stat Howlberg and I couldn't bring myself to try. It's very hard. It's almost like Hebrew. And uh, he said, What are you going to do there? And I said, Direct. And this cab driver turned around, looked at me, and said, You've got to be kidding. He <laughs> did not
5: know me with great confidence.
2: But I do find that if you include anybody in the process of what you do and say, Listen, I want to tell you quickly what this opera is about. This opera is about how we don't listen to each other. Now, you know that nobody listens to you, right? kids like shit, doesn't it? And they go. And you say, so what do you think? And can you help me here? And they won't. Because you make them immediately, even if you're short, and I don't care if they giggle at me behind my back. I was used to use wear purple and the guys at this San Francisco opera gave me a shirt called Road of the Greek. <laughs> <laughs> I I loved it. I mean because we can what we do is about partnership. I'm absolutely convinced. And if it's not about that, I can I participate? I feel very strongly about that. And you know, if you stick with it, you do create people who will help you, who want to design, design the show, actually. But you can work with that. And it is hard being small. I have to say that. When I come out of dance where women, partly because of Martha Graham, were, I, I never thought about being a woman. Until when I was working, writing a television show, Kurt Browning pointed out that I was being paid half my colleagues. Okay, that's the first time I realized I was just sort of bopping along. But anyway, I, I don't mean to say that. But I do deeply believe this, and I do believe it's a problem to be short and to be a woman. But you can do it. I mean, everyone has. That's a great way to manage it, and that's your way. There's another way as well, and I think it has to do with again partnership. Sure. Also, I'm older, yeah. and I and I tell everybody I'm an old lady. <laughs> they, you know, and I laugh, and I say, so you've got to listen to me, right? And they, they go, well, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but, uh, and, and I've been doing it, you know, for many, many years, for 30 years, so it's to do it it's
5: true. Could we go kind of back a step, and, and could you talk a little bit about how much you direct the music? Because I was under the impression that there's a musical director, and then the stage director... And I'm not real clear on, on you know, if, the, if these singers are coming in and they're not speaking the language, they don't know what they're singing, but I assume that they're pretty well coached in how they're going to sing it. So then you're trying to insert some motivation there. Um, but to, to what extent um, is the musical director there? Are you working?
4: Mostly I so. Side by side. Sit there like this through every rehearsal. <coughs> you you know, <coughs> when you talk about relationships, it's it's um it's important that you make sure that one is one you at least understand. Mm-hmm. You're not necessarily gonna be friends, but um you know, he and usually is a he is is in fact running the ship. You'll be sitting in the audience in your tux on opening night, he will be in the spotlight. The, and before the age of surtitles in a funny way, I mean, he really was king, you know. Um, and I guess because of my musical background, I've always, I always defer to the conductor. Uh, and I, I suspect, I suspect all of us do to a certain extent, because I mean, he's he's got the score, they're singing the score. They have various levels of talent in terms of acting and various levels of talent in terms of singing. And I've seen a well-sung performance carry the dramatic weight of the moment just fine. Um, so if it's, a, if it's a great conductor like Levine, you know, it's wonderful, because they he, he can also help them trust you. And that, I find, the best thing about a, a, a good conductor relationship. I mean, if that conductor has a lot of power, and they don't always... You know, they don't always have the respect that somebody like Jim does. But if they they can let the singers know that they respect you, and that helps tremendously. But I've never found a way to be in charge of that. I, you know, when it happens, it's great. But, <laughs> and I can't really do the same for him very often. I, I, you know, because they are they're musical animals, and they've you know they're they're this far away from just being leader singers or. Uh, Choral singers. I mean, that they got into this crazy situation where they have to wear a décolleté and roll around on the floor and have some fat tenor on top of them while they're singing a seven-eight bar of little sixteenth notes is beyond me sometimes when I watch them. But the conductor stage director relationship is 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 got to be a partnership or you don't have a production. I mean, the, at uh, one famous American opera company, you know, the conductor never came to the staging rehearsals. It was a Strauss opera. Very, very detailed, you know, Strauss has every little thing in the score, little knocks on doors, how long it takes for somebody to cross to kiss somebody, etc. Uh props, props to the lore, and he never came to rehearsals and I had a very good cast. And he staggered into the pit um on opening night <laughs> uh, on the a piano dress, and everything went downhill. But everything. But every dramatic moment, the singers were of course glued to this dreadful conductor. They couldn't do half of their work as actors, and they were upset about that. They were crying at intermission. I mean, it was appallingly um, unprofessional, and it destroyed the production. And I saw this really tight dramatic infrastructure, which we had built together, the singers and I. I mean, they even improvised these singers. Some of them they offered to improvise scenes. We did. It was very. And you haven't really had that since. This was years ago. Um, The cake melted with bad conduct. And so I'm very nervous about my conductors because, you know, you get you get a moment going and if you're not in sync about what that moment means, uh, whether it's a little stretta moment or a little quick, you know, passage from a doorway to a bed or something, whatever it is, if they're not doing what you're doing or you're not doing what they think it ought to be... Um, it doesn't work really, does it? it it doesn't you know only rarely have I gotten a good review when the conductor's gotten a bad one and that I don't like that either because something's out of sync you know it's not well
2: I must say that my I have had wonderful uh, conductors to work with in the main and, and mature conductors uh, my uh, what Mark says and I'm sure William would agree is that without that link you can't you don't, have, you don't have a team. And I there was a conductor I loved who's head of the Warsaw Philharmonic Cosmic Kord. We should all have the joy to work with him. And he would, we'd talk about it, and I'd say, "What well, do you think this works? We was doing donkey shot, And he said it would if you did it four minute measures later. And he was always right. He <coughs> was always dead on. You know, what I love about the people I work with is they make me better than I am. Cosmere Michal Gilin. Then you run into a conductor who's brilliant and excellent, a man named Hans von, who's now out in St. Louis, who I had the great good fortune to do with. But I said, you want to come see the set? And he said, why? Now, that makes me feel very lonely and sad. because I, And so I, I become funny and say, because you have to look at it all night, you might have want to approve. He never, partly because it was his education, never knew that collaborating included that which was going on. Kazmir, Mikhail, they do. They know that. I think Stuart is interested. I Mm -hmm. think Christopher King certainly was. And I think that that is of the utmost importance. And you know the cast picks it up. It's like the family that stays together stays together. And they pick up your relationship with your colleagues, with the designer, with everybody. And and I think that that is... And it's so exciting. Listen, man, I don't want to... These conductors have taught me something. And that's the kick of it, frankly. I mean, in a very narcissistic way, Or Megal and I went, I want to learn
5: something, and they teach them. Well, I think also if you get, when a conductor doesn't show up, it's, it's a, to me, it's a big red light, that this man does not think that this is theater. And opera is theatrical music. It's not music and theater. It's all one. And if the conductors, just believes that he's got notes to play, that he is some kind of an oratorio. You're in trouble. It, it, it's a big sign that he does not believe in the theatrical experience of opera, which I think is one of the biggest problems right now in, in, in the house that I've worked in, where by and large the operatic establishment, a lot of, a majority of the, of the audience, and they're co- tremendously conservative, the, the press. And most of the singers who truly believe that they're there just to stand there and sing. They truly do, uh, for the most part. And that is, I think, a serious problem. And it comes from the training. It comes from the the disposition of of, of some of the big houses where it's not required that you do anything. But I just saw a Dutchman in L.A. where the uh, woman who was supposed to be 16-year-old, Santa, couldn't move. She was so big. She got stuck in a chair was unable to turn her head, had to do this to turn, and they had to use a dancer to move as her because she could not. This could only come from a mindset that says that it doesn't matter as long as you sound like an angel. Um, and I think it does matter tremendously. And uh, very few people have that good a voice that they can afford to do that.
1: You. Your discussion of the relationship with the conductor and the language study seems to me to be part of what might be the, the most logical question for us to ask you as primarily theater directors. What, what other skills do we need? What are, what are the things that we need to know as, as theater directors in order to be able to direct an, an opera? What are,
5: I'm always puzzled by, a lot of people ask me, how do you get into opera directors? Who don't own a single opera CD at home? And you'd say, well, "Why do you want to do this? You don't. You don't like it. If you liked it, you would have. You would have it at home. You would know who Callas is. You, you'd have a favorite singer. You'd, you'd you know, you'd have a oh, that's, that's 1963 Turandot with Corellia Nielsen. There would be something there. And I think that I don't know if it, you would call it a skill, but I'm always puzzled by directors who want to direct opera that don't own a library of it at, at, at a certain age. Of course, if you're eight but when you're 30, 35, 40 all of a sudden you say well how do I do this thing I'm concerned I wouldn't call it a skill but uh, (coughs) a disposition a love for it an interest in it uh, knowing it loving it uh, enjoying it for its own sake that's my only addition to it and of course I think you should again not an impossible thing to do learn to read music you, you direct from the score, not from the, the
1: breath. Other sort of unique challenges that you feel like talking about?
3: I don't, but maybe because I've been doing
2: it a long time, I do stop thinking about things. And I think that it helps me very much in dealing with groups of people that I was a choreographer. That, that was absolutely essential. I mean, and that you begin, I remember when I first choreographed, I used to do musicals, and I first choreographed, oh my god, and I'd take pennies and write names on them, and I would do it so carefully. <laughs> I did that up after about a year. I would do them, you know, and I count, I still count like a dancer. But I, I, uh, you know, when I, we had a lot of stage combat in and I found the the, I couldn't have um, dan- uh, stage combat people, which I really wanted. I, I think to know stage combat is essential for any director. I think because you, I am very particular about having accidents, and I can, I cannot have accidents. I, I you know I'm I'm overly concerned. Well, I, I do the. Uh, what am I doing this summer? Uh, uh, Mice and Men at the Holland Festival. and Every time Julian Patrick would shoot the gun, I'd run out of the room. I mean, I'm crazed about that kind of thing, but I did know what the distance was given the gun. I think that those skills you have to have, and uh, I think you have to be understanding uh, about, it's very thing William was speaking about, that people, I was a choreographer, I'm sorry, I call everybody kids, so you'll have to (laughs) get the grown-up smoke. So, I, I, uh, God, I think that you have to understand where people come from, where they come from in terms of nationality, where they come from in terms of physical size, what their fears are, can I dance, can I move, can I look? What happens if I don't look this same? Riam, who is here, who is a student of mine at Manus, uh, is from Korea. Now, I have, up in Manhattan, I have many, many students from uh, Korea, and they learned, literally learned, that they cannot turn their back to the audience. I don't know what schools they went to, but you know, it's like being a Jew and not being able to believe in heaven. It is terribly (laughs) difficult to give that up. It is terribly difficult for opera singers, particularly from Asia,
3: to
2: look, women, to look at men. Andrew. And touch, touch. I had a kid at Curtis who played Carmen who could not be touched by a man because in, in envisioning her mother would throw her out of the house. If sure. Well, what shall you do, and how can you work this through? Well, there are, only certain, there are only certain smaller schools that have time to deal with them. In larger schools, it's sort of forgotten. And so you inherit people. You have to create, as I'm sure you agree, a family for four weeks' time. And it has to be immediate. And we all come from a different place at a different time. And I'm short and you're tall. I mean, really differences. I'm a woman, you're a man. All of that becomes very complicated. And I think what you really need is incredible patience and the ability to listen and try and help people be the best they can be. And that it is... it's it says, damning for that poor lady who couldn't get out of the chair. I'm sure she's miserable.
5: Oh, no, she's very successful. Ah, well, well, but not you could be successful. She's
2: very look, you know, I'm sure, look, look at Midori. She's very successful. I don't think she's very good. You know, I, I think that people who sometimes achieve success, there is a lot of attendant problems that go with it. Jesse a very, not so much named,
1: very... Are you recording this? <laughs> 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 going
3: to be printed <laughs> 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 You before before anything would would you appear. Just turn it off. Yes. I don't
4: know. Should she stand at the mantle, or do you feel like going to him? Or... <laughs> you have to. You have to. Um, you have this finite <laughs> musical time that you were talking about. And you know the conductor's beating it usually, or somebody somebody's playing something, and you 're staging over that and so you don 't you have the, the amount of time that sort of Puccini gave you to do it. You can say, "Stop, stop, wait, wait, you know all right now, come in the door and fall down here and do that but essentially you you need to get a lot done quickly because <laughs> they 've already they're not you know and, and one of the great things about working in opera, which I love, which I now hate about the theater. <laughs> They have. They know it. When they come to me, they know it. They know the peace. We don't go through that ghastly eight days of everybody calling for lines, losing their confidence, losing their form, losing their faith in me, losing their faith in each other, getting bitchy, getting horrible, and then and then climbing back. As they get the play back in their little brains <laughs> and get to open the night with all their, like, frantic actor excitement. Enough already. You know, what's amazing about singers is they, they know the part better than you know it often. They know every little fucking word and they drive you crazy sometimes and show you just how much you don't know. You've studied the text, you've studied the music for a year, two years, three years. Boy, mean knows when she has to be through that door better than you ever could think you must. you know, because she studied the part. She's had to learn it. And only rarely have I had actors who come in with the part learned. It seems to be some sort of anathema, anathema. with American actors. Not so with, with a lot of foreign actors, but American actors are so afraid that they, they need to find the work you know what's finding the work you're wasting my time you're wasting your time you've known you've been casting this damn thing for three months why the hell didn't you learn it yes. what was going to be different about learning it on my time you know
5: Exactly. and
4: you still have to say to be or not to be in the yeah. middle of the third act yeah. that won't
5: change That won't change <laughs> it's <won't learn> it. <laughs> not optional yeah
4: yeah brother and the, the great thing about musicians is that they've learned yeah. the music so one of the things, you know, one of my board members said, why do you like doing opera so much? I said, because the fun part, I get all the fun parts. I get to work with the designer. We get to conceive the thing. I get to learn the music quietly in my little study. And then on the first day of rehearsal, bang, I stage act one. You know, we're like racing. And it's it's thrilling. We're not crawling along. Questions but,
6: but then how do you deal with... The thing that comes with the fact that, that the actor has played Keverovsky fifty times since the first time you directed it, and and suddenly, but and I
3: always think this aria stands <coughs> clear. Unfortunately, in our production,
6: it's a pot plant for a <coughs> stand. How, how do you begin? Um, you know, when they're coming with this wealth of knowledge.
5: I always ask them, them, you know. I ask them, and then this works sometimes, and sometimes it doesn't work at all. <laughs> what would you like to do different? Now, you've sung this part before, or, or maybe you've never sung it, but you've seen it a million times. Now, you're, you're doing Cabrador, see. What, what have you seen, let's say, in the past ten years that uh, Luciano Pavarotti's Domingo's done, but Neil Sheikhoff is done? Wh- what would you like to do different? And sometimes they, well, not as often as you would want to, uh, they come up with, well, I think, you know. let me try this and the other. Or what have you done in the past um, that you would like to do better? I- I've always wanted as an actress to be given another chance at Masha because, because you do things differently. Because now, well, now that I've had one production under my belt, I'd like to try something else. Uh, so that works sometimes. Other times, like in the case of the, the Czech Flying Dutchman, I stand center stage, <laughs> I sing, I smile The <laughs> people move around me. And he was six four. so. <laughs> so sometimes, it, but, if, but I think that if you ask for the contribution, I'm, I love it when the singer or the performer, if it's an actor, brings, yes. I'd like for them to bring their own stuff. Now, because there is no time, if they have nothing to bring me, I'm going to put something there. <laughs> you, you have to be, because you have to be running at the end of one week.
4: I think sometimes it's good to think of it as an aid rather than a hindrance. Oh, you've sung covered I see, 85 times. I've only just, this is my first Tosca. What can I learn? And then, you know, and then the next thing is what would you like to do differently than you've never done before? If you have the time, sometimes you don't. And then you're God's slave.
2: I find that if you go very, you can do this very quickly. Uh, I had a friend who <coughs> came in and told me that he, I would be to see his uh, uh, Horace Taylor. I said, I'm thrilled to see you. And I said, I'm not sure about what that means, because have you ever done it with, I'm going to just name singers, Faith Basham or, I, you, I, I don't know if there is a your. I think the your has to do with who else is there. And so. Uh, he told me, I loved it. I, I took him out. I, I, I also read the script and I do the Meisner exercise before I ever start rehearsing. It's very strange to say opera, but I do it. And, <laughs> they, uh, and you can do it rather quickly, and you do the Meisner exercise, which means you really have to listen to what the other guy said because you repeat his sentence. as a question. And then do your response. So the, so uh, this guy, I, I saw that he was very unhappy, and he read the script, Baby no he read it uh, metrically to the notes. So I saw it was unhappy and I said, my answer for everything is let's have a vodka.
3: <laughs>
2: so I took him for a vodka and And he told me I loved it. He told me that he hated the way I talked. And I said, terrific. Then I can't talk that way. Then you can do this very quickly. with that. And he said, well, uh, uh, how can you talk to me? I said, how shall I talk to you? Well, uh, he, he locked his knees and did a lot of things that were pro- prohibitive to him from being just very anxious, uh, looking like he was very anxious. He was very anxious. What I did was, I so I said, well, I, I will tell you, tell me when I knock my knees. I said, I'm not going to tell you. I'll go, and you and I will know.
5: So I did that. But what I did
2: see was a terrified man, and I decided he would do his Horace take, And we did it, and see terrified man. And everyone's wonderful. I, I wouldn't have known that without knowing that. that you can take what they bring even if they bring rigidity and say, maybe, maybe we have to include that in who the man is. Or terror. Or whatever the hell is there. And I think <laughs> it, it can be frustrating, but the truth is, among younger singers, I don't find that rigidity. Do you, I, I,
3: well, We're very lucky to work
2: at women really, because we have, we work with younger singers, And then you can work with, I mean, singers like Don Upshaw, who's just one of those singing here, Mm -hmm. they're so uh, pliable, so interested. And that's what I think we want, is to work with people who are interested in finding out what something's about. That's
7: it. it. Uh, do Do you have any meetings, or would you like to have any meetings with the conductor, before
5: the first rehearsal? I've had several. I don't know how it works. Uh, Virginia Opera, we, I've met with the conductor there a long and time. You the score in a yeah, and
7: you've all been a score. Yeah, and what, what, time, what so. yes,
5: how do you feel this playing here? Do you think, it, I, 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 I'll I'll say, uh, I, I've heard it play this way, this way, and that way, and what do you think, how do you think this should play? How do you think, what, what kind of, how are you going to do Conduct that. How 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 would you like it? Do you agree? If these are the crucial moments, and uh, and sometimes when I need them to hold, you know, and, and if I plan some stuff, that, that works. Now I'm about to go into a payachi where I have not met with the director once, and I'm direct. I'm starting rehearsals in ten days, and I've never I've, ne- I've never even spoken to her on the phone. So a <laughs> little nervous. So I think it depends on how. For, that's been my, my experience. How how the the organization works.
7: And you find it that you find you find it helpful.
5: Tremendous. For me, tremendous, because I go through the entire score and the recordings and my and you know I they have so much more to bring than in my tiny little brain. I, I like to hear them. the, the, the musical because
7: I, I, I direct an opera in Greece and uh, the conductor absolutely refused yeah, to meet her. <laughs> and we met for the first time in the first rehearsal, so and it was a disaster. Of course. Oh, so, because we began to argue and fight, you know, and, you uh, know, cast, <laughs> and it was just <laughs> So how do you deal in this <laughs> I mean, you go to the producer and you say, you know, I'd like to meet you with know, the conductor and he refuses to, and uh, I mean, did you ever have an instance in words where the conductor simply just refused to see you before the first rehearsal? Did you have, you
4: Five, yeah, he yeah he did. He, yeah, he, just, he was never around. He showed up and wrecked But I was too cautious. And I was it was only my third or fourth opera production, so I thought, oh, well, this is the way things are. Only then, late, you know, after three weeks of rehearsal, with a great rehearsal accompanist, did I discover that we were building a show in this rehearsal accompanist division, musical vision hmm. who turned out to be a marvelous conductor in his own right, John Fiore, really? wonderful conductor. Yeah. Uh, far better than the conductor who ended up actually <laughs> conducting <laughs> <laughs> or waving his <laughs> You know,
2: I, I think I merely I did mm-hmm. Zolome in, at the Herodaticus with Teresa Stratus who withdrew from the... Uh, and He withdrew because they called her and said that if she was going to be sick she had to give him 48 hours notice because Greece was very far away <laughs> and they would have to get in Birgit Lindholm or someone, and my contract had to do with the fact that I would only do it with Stratus. But I did find that I worked with a great conductor, do you know mm-hmm. This is Sweet Man. But he told me, and you see it's okay to know this at the top, that he could conduct the orchestra, but he could not conduct the singers at the same time. So I withdrew, when Stratus withdrew, and uh, <laughs> uh, I, the French director, and then the, the, the chorus of the Jews went on strike. Oh, they were army people. They were from the Greek <laughs> army. It was chaos, I gather. I was glad not to be there. And they also would not pay the company off and just say, we'll go home. They made them sit there for four weeks and come to the theater every night and collect whatever they were going to collect. But you see, what happened was that when they <laughs> attempted to rehearse, John Fisher, the uh, repetitor, he conducted the singer's and of Oracus, who was a very sweet man. I couldn't deal with it. And I think maybe, I'm not sure, but I think in some places and you would know better. It depends on how much opera you do, how 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 active a community is in producing opera. And I have the feeling when I was there that it was not very active. And so the conductors had a hard time knowing what was demanded of them.
5: And
7: Yeah, your feeling would be the same if you were there now. I would
5: yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> or you can meet the other thing that can happen, which is scary. And I've directed with a conductor that has a an erratic beat. And um, <laughs> <laughs> you can meet until you're blue in the face. That's right. That's true. When he gets up there, uh, the singers, all you see is panic. Mm-hmm. So there's that, too. I mean, that can happen. Jedi, makes oh.
7: a um, I want that on the issue
6: about getting the cast, the director and the conductor, all together in this family-like feeling. Uh, and uh, I was wondering, would you do the method of improvisation, including the conductor as well, and the director and all the cast, to uh, the very at the very beginning, not so that you run out of time not
5: even block the uh, from the show, but would you improvisation games or sort of method? I, I myself don't. I don't. I don't
4: know. When you look at a musical line of music, there is nothing improvised about that. That's the, the determinant. Oh
6: well, yes, that's what I mean. Because but it, you
4: know what I'm saying? They, they are coming. They're musicians. I'm
6: a singer, and I know what you're, okay. What you're saying. Okay we'll sing a Lucia the same way we'll see it, like you said, the same many times we sang it before. But to make it new, to remove the staleness, or to gel better with the rest of the people, um, I found that uh, uh, this happened to me once, I worked to the director, that used improvisation. We did it all for half an hour. Mm-hmm. It was on Johnny's P.P. And he let us run wild. And it made us way more involved with the feeling of the play rather than only the music. And it it, uh, it really opened my eyes. I thought it was really good. So I, I thought that mm-hmm. to get singers not to move the same way in the time, to get them more involved, mm-hmm. I thought that that's maybe something we do. I know Rhoda, you have the invitation group that
5: would help so far, the the singers that I've directed, if I even suggested improvisation, would uh, would d- 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 freeze, the, the hearts would stop. So what I found that <clears throat> I have to do is basically just relax them, yes. uh, to just relax into a a, a a natural way of moving and, and uh, into a flexibility at least, and, and an accept, uh, uh, an openness to dramatic interpretation. The close, closest I've close come is. Come is only.
1: Sorry,
5: sorry. Yes. Directed so, such a short
4: time. I I try to let them know right off the bat that they're in charge. So, and they're quite surprised very often when I say, "Well, now where do you want to move, because it's, You know, they 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 say that they want direction. You invented. You jumped on the bed. You pulled him up. You did, you know whatever. So I I like to be able to sort of say, do "You want to, you know and." Nine tenths of most sort of arias, say in Verdi operas, there is no place to move. There's no place to move. So you know, if you'd like to move a little bit here, do it there, and they generally will. But even in the in the most avant-garde productions of Verdi operas, and there really aren't any of Verdi operas, um, <laughs> you know, they stand and deliver. And it's and there is something in opera that I find thrilling about that. That there are these moments where frankly, certainly in a Verdi opera, where all you want them to do is sing. The story is ridiculous. The, the story means nothing without the music. The words mean absolutely nothing without it. And the story means nothing without beautiful singing. Beautiful singing. Rafter-burning singing. Let them sing. Let them stand still and sing instead of trying to make sense of something. It's more giving them the, the comfort level to sort of invent their own or think they're inventing. We've got
1: three on this side, I know. Ed okay, I have a
7: question about uh, doing original work. Uh, we've, so far we've been dressed, uh, talking about doing the repertoire, What about uh, developing original operas? How does that come about? The best. I, can well, I, just, I, think, I think it is the best, because about. you
2: are not burdened with anybody's uh, 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 sense of, of what, uh, you know, what should be there, because you're making it. I, I mean, I've worked a lot with people, and made new pieces. Uh, The one, of course, that uh, is very um, important to me personally is Malcolm X. I met the composer at a place called The Kitchen, which I used to frequent a lot, and Mary MacArthur, that she was called, uh, uh, said, I think you two should get together. And so we did, and what happened was they presented me with a synopsis that felt like a, uh, what can I say, a, a sofa. And I said, you know, it's wonderful, but where are you in this piece? And they ripped up the synopsis, and they made a commitment to mouth them. And it was, uh, and we worked through it slowly. There was, I called their creative consultant. What would happen was we'd go through, and I'd say, you know, I, I once saw a film. My mother was a terrific educator, and she used to take me to film. She was a professor at NYU. It was a film called The Quiet One, where a little child ran through, a, a lonely child, ran through a group of tunnels in Central Park, going, Mama, Mama, Mama. And I would tell them this. And then Tony would write an aria called Mama, Help Me. And we made it together. At one point, he would call me every morning at 3 in the morning and say, I've just written some beautiful music. And since I believe he is probably one of the most talented composers in America today, uh, and this was his first opera, and he'd play it, and uh, it's a <coughs> story he said to me. Um, uh, so I'd like you to put it in between Malcolm's father's death and something else. So I said, fine. And and then he'd go to a far room, and I'm sitting on the phone in my nightgown, and I don't hear a thing. But he thinks I do. So he <laughs> delivers it. He sends it down to me. And like most contemporary composers, he's very late, except for Phil, Phil Glass, who is not late ever when he brings in an opera. But. Uh, I remember taking it, and, and I'd say, but, Tony, what is this about, what does it mean? And he'd say, you'll find something road. And I usually always did find something, except that time. So I brought, the, I couldn't figure out how this would work. I brought it to the actors, and I said, can you help me? And we all sat around. And so we, and I made the decision that what we'd do is we, Mountain's father was killed, and then we'd sit down. One the said, Do you mind if I walk around? I said, No. And then she'd say, Why am I doing this? And sit down. So Tony came to see a run through. And Mother's father had been killed. And then everybody sat down. And he said, What are you doing? I said, Listening
3: to beautiful music. And he, said, oh. and he said,
2: You know, there should be an aria here. And what he did was, because he was given the time to think and see, given the time. Time Ellis Rev used to say, time is all you need, and it is true. He created an aria for the mother of Malcolm. That is thrilling. To make something together is is the hottest thing you can do because you really are and, and it's difficult and in the case of the Davises, they are a family and you have to learn. <laughs> as a director, I remember Iowa Wiseman called me and said You did not school, we meet and I thought he was going to do this endless thing people do and say, What is it like to work with black people? Uh, Which I think sucks, right? And I'm bored and I don't want it to be and so I said, Why do you want why do you want to know about that? And he said, What's it like to work with a family? And I said, It's very difficult. What you have to do is, given the family, know that a lot of what's going on is between them and their history and do it. And in my case, these wonderfully But they, the dynamic of that family is something very complicated, and worthwhile sitting there because they, I think they made a wonderful work, which we do this has never been done again, though it's sold out at city opera. And that is an enormous problem for me personally. I, I think you can't get people
4: interested. I would kill to direct that opera ever since I, I heard it. I didn't see it, unfortunately. I can't get anybody to... I keep saying, you know, that people say, what would you like to do? italian girl <laughs> no <laughs> well i'd sort of like to do
7: the
2: malcolm x
4: piece why? oh no 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 well, no, 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 no. well
2: no, one, i'll tell you why.
3: in the first place there's <because laughs> I'll, I'll I'll like a temporary offer right away no. Well, right.
2: pick it up for a second production they won't a because it is a, a cast um that requires 28 black people and we do notice that there are no integrated companies in this country i notice it all the time i was once interviewed
5: This is a, I, can, <laughs> he, I,
3: I like this guy <laughs> yes, but,
2: then, but then if I'm going to do it at City Opera you already got the reviews and the London Times is not going to come and see me right. and that's the reality guys you see we call show business we're all from show business I happen to like that because it's honest and the arts is show business too. and it has to be in this country because it is not subsidized and until we and I teach at Northwestern, we are, they are so gifted you can die. Where shall they go in this So that they can work with Mark and work with Mark.
7: Where shall they go? There's no place for them.
2: So that we have got to, as directors, I believe or conductors, begin to think about different venues that do accommodate and, and allow young people to perform, to find ideas, to I think that there's a lot of hard facts about doing opera in this country. Right? You know, we've always worked at welcoming places like Limerglass or in San Jose. I am sure they are welcoming places, but boy, they aren't? I'm sorry to say that, but I really remember the
4: I'm working on three new operas right now. One, one um, with Charles Warren and based on Harun and the Sea of Stories, the Salman Rushdie uh, book, right. yeah. uh, the Gatsby thing with John Harbison, and a, 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 a new opera with um, an Israeli-American composer named Paul Schoenfield, which I, my, I've given it the title. Good. I don't know if tell it's going to stick. Rabbi Nachman Tells a Story, tells School. That. School.
3: School. Well, I know.
4: That's, that's for St. Louis. But the interesting, the, the reason I'm saying this is that each of them works in a completely different way, and in a highly conservative way, even though, you know, you'll say, you'll say something like, well, oh, what if we do this all with, what if we have a scene in which X, Y, or Z, well, oh, how could we possibly do that? It's, it's, and, and finally, I said to Charles, who writes extremely atonal music, you know, Charles, listen to your music. What? How could you tell me that you can't understand an abstract concept on stage? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> because orally, that's all I'm hearing. Have you read the No, we've finally gotten uh, I, I, my idea. I'm only saying that because you can see how, when you're working on a new piece, how much an influence you can have. I mean, nothing like Rhoda on Melman, cause she really created that from the ground up. But finally, we got. James Fenton interested. He writes for the New York mm-hmm. Review of Books. He's a wonderful poet, oh, British yeah. poet. And we had lunch the other day at O'Neill's. He came in, all set up by Charles's agent. And um, he sat down and he said, I bring you greetings from Salman Rushdie. <laughs> <laughs> like this chill, you know. Oh, and uh, he said, he's very excited that you're doing this, and he will give you every help he can. And so, of course, we all were badgering him about, you know, how do you how do you you meet Solomon Rushdie? And he said, I can't tell you, but he said, it's like like going through another dimension. (laughs) He said, suddenly, someone says, do you want to go to eat at the, and you say, no, and you say, yes, you do. (laughs) And you go, but there's a car, and you don't go there, you go somewhere else. And did you wear a
5: trench coat? Yeah, I said. I
4: know. And he said, suddenly, you're with him, and you're spending time with him and then the time is up, and you're back in real life again. Mm. But he'll, the amazing thing is, we have this connection, and he'll be working on the piece. So, of course, Charles said, do you think there'll be a fatwa against us? <laughs> <You know. laughs> but, the real reason I thought really <laughs> is that it's like Haroon, see, it keeps going. Um, is that the, the idea to do an opera, Charles wanted to do an opera based on a book called Celia, a slave, which is a story about a slave in the South, uh, a very, very, I mean, on the one hand, melodramatic tale, on the other hand, completely true. And this was the first idea he had to make an opera about. No one wanted to do this story, and it's a fantastic story. And the way Charles was thinking of it was, and Christopher, in fact, Mm -hmm. wrote the first scene. Um, because they couldn't quite find, this was before I came into the project, Charles couldn't find a librettist who would do this, and Christopher had this idea about how the piece ought to sound. Wrote a first scene, Charles loved it, Christopher died. I come in, and now we're we're looking for a librettist. Well, African-American female writers absolutely didn't see it the way Charles saw it, a white snail. He couldn't see it the way they saw it he saw it as an essentially romantic story romance <laughs> come <laughs> greek tragedy like Medea. they saw it in a completely different way tulani saw it in a completely Zulani, different sure. way yeah, pearl sure. plague saw it in a completely different way and he who he's republican he's very conservative you know just said got all bent out of shape about having to be politically correct and i and i said if there is not a black female playwright writing this or a black female writer writing the libretto, we cannot do this project, Charles. We're two white guys. You know, we can't do it. We won't have entry, not because it's correct or incorrect. We won't have entry to the work in a way that we would with with a black female writer. Um, But it's amazing that the whole production has fallen apart, nothing's happening, because there was no way to get anybody interested in writing it because no opera company would do it. They would, we would send them the novel. They would go, like next year, forget it, type, you know. Well,
7: that's one of the things. I've written an opera, a libretto for an opera, and I'm trying to get to the next stage with it. How do you go about, do you get a composer? Or how do you get a world-class composer to, you know, give himself to, to that?
2: I think rather than thinking about world-class I'll I'll say, or finding a composer who really you like, and you do it by writing to them or calling them on the phone. Mm-hmm. Like people call you. And you just, you say, listen, I have this libretto. Would you look at it? I've heard you at Merkin Hall, your quartet. Have you ever, uh, one of my best friends is an American composer who will not ever write an opera. And she would tell you that. It ain't her thing. And she says she has to learn to write for an orchestra correctly before she dies. And she does that. So uh <coughs> but I think that there are uh, there are people who would love to and you have to find, try it out, talk with them and see who's simpatico with you. And I think it's the only way. But find someone you love, not who's world class.
7: Yep, yeah I'm of a whole yeah, I I may be Yeah, yeah, because but I mean I'm you talking could about
2: a you know, a really
7: good musician. Yeah. You really yeah. need a good musician to sustain that type of
2: you know, because I always think that uh, I, I like a composer very much named Schnittke, oh. And I think that Schnitke was not, when I say world class, I, I don't mean that you met that either, yeah. but that it's someone of renown, that he really? got to be of renown. Yeah. It's like when Philip, Les, who broke his butt for years and years and was the best plumber in Greenwich Village, you know, slept around and slept around and finally found someone. Sure about this, but this is a serious man and his first opera. You you just have to go. You 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 try and try and try. And if you wait long, I swear, usually someone out
7: of some sort.
1: Our time gets so short. We've got about five minutes. Blue shirt guy.
7: Yeah, has been I'm waiting. You've kind of, yeah. How about you? How big is the leap from traditional theater? A musical Shakespeare,
4: which is started. It's big in that um, the rules are so different. The rules of the institutions in which these two kinds of things take place are so different. You very rarely call the shots in the institution. I mean, an opera, an opera company works in a certain rhythm, and a theater company works in a certain rhythm, and they're very, very different rhythms. You work at the Met, you're. You're slotted in, you know, for a month of rehearsals, and they're producing seven or eight other operas at the same time and rehearsing seven or eight or more other operas at the same time. You've got to you've you got to deliver on cue, as it were. Um, with a the theater situation, you have that there's a sense of of, of, of more mutual exploration with a group, as we were talking about earlier, and a kind of slower move towards discovering the whole piece. With opera, it, it a rhythm that's much quicker and much more immensely decisive and unchangeable once the decisions are made so it's it's I find that you know that there's a sort of exhilaration to that where you're on your toes and, and creating creating staging for scenes and you won't get to them in, for another two weeks and when you do there will be an orchestra there and maybe another singer
7: but not true new works
4: necessarily but you have a long you have a longer time but but writing an opera not for my money. The ones, the one I've done a number of new operas, and, and now working with these composers and librettists, I find it very different than working on a musical, which I've only done a couple times. Where the composer has, with 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 Gatsby, for instance, everybody at the Met who was in charge of the commission wanted us to find, brought me in to find a librettist that would work with John. So we started with. with Robert job law, that was my first idea, um, who wrote a 12-page treatment of the novel. John didn't like it. We died. You know, we were like, John, John, this is it, this is it. He didn't like it, he didn't like it. Then we brought in Pete Gurney, who had a marvelous idea about putting the whole thing together. Pete teaches the novel. He is a wasp. He (laughs) loves Fitzgerald. (laughs) He's a theater person. We've worked together a lot. It was brilliant. John Buddha, John then hands me his own libretto. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, I have been writing this in my head for 15 years. And I called Sally, Bill and to I met him. I said, we don't have an option. He's writing it. It's written. She said, well, I don't even have an aria yet. I don't have a ensemble. I said, he's working on, he's been working on his own libretto. It's 98% Fitzgerald's words. Uh, he's very carefully it's very carefully wrought. I was allowed to have a little influence on it, but so did a thousand other people that he asked, uh, uh, poets that he knows, a philosopher in Boston that's a good friend, Patrick Smith at Opera News, a whole lot of people, and John just stayed on his course, nipping and tucking and nipping and tucking. I got an ensemble in in the first scene um, that I thought ought to be there
1: a very intelligent
4: discussion along the way. The Met was tearing its hair up, but it's a beautiful libretto. And, you know, when you think about Wagner, his own libretto, I mean, when you think about a lot of people except for Auden and Stravinsky, the composer writing his own or her own libretto seems to actually, I think, have a a more successful go at it, at least in this day and age. They're not used to collaborating composers. They're used to delivering godlike to the podium score. And he'd been hearing these sentences from Fitzgerald, and he, we, and it was right to just have him do it. He could not collaborate. He absolutely couldn't collaborate. Thea so the the Musk
5: okay. yeah. Yeah. wrote, her only bread of believer. I just translated and adapted into Spanish and was sung in Spanish. But she would not have anybody else write it, and neither will she. She had the she decided she will write her own libretto the way she wants to write
4: it. And that you know, it's crazy with, with this Paul Schoenfield, this, this Israeli composer. He actually says to me, should this be four minutes of music or 30 seconds? And the librettist and I look at each other and go, but you don't, what do you feel about it? I don't feel anything. You tell me what it should be. Now, he chose the story. He wanted to make this into an opera. And I've literally gone through the, the librettist's drafts Writing for Paul, I, I hear this as about 30 seconds of music. I hear this as a duet, about four minutes. I think this is an ensemble that's loud, fast, about a minute and a half. I mean, I, I talk about playing God. You know, halfway through this, I called the librettist who's in St. Louis, and she's she's wonderful and terrified as well. I said, you know, I'm just, I'm just kind of making this up from years of, of listening to opera and having a feeling about what this libretto might be he's writing it to the I mean <laughs> <laughs> he played the first uh, half of the first act for us about a month ago it was like exactly what I'd asked for so it's, it's really scary and he, he cannot work any other way he said he wants to work this way and if we're happy he'll, he will believes that the piece will work
2: but it's like yeah, and, and Harbison it's like asking Maurice Sendak to not illustrate his book yeah. You know, they, there are some people who can't. Th- it's not possible. Yeah. And then there are others, I guess, like this Jennifer Miser. I a lady with her. Hands.
1: Yeah, we'll tra- we've got yeah. two, but try You and then you will get these two in. Okay. Uh, again, very basic. I, I'm i not sure. Uh, how much time do you have with the actors? And how long? And how much time to, in a day do you have with the actors? Six hours. Six, times. Six hundred, hours. Six okay. okay. hours. For how long?
2: Well, right? if you work at City Opera, it can be two and a half weeks or four if you're lucky.
1: So you have, you, have, you have everyone for six hours a day for... Not everyone, depending
4: on their availability. Mm-hmm. They may mm-hmm. have other jobs, and they can't... They, the management has allowed them to be out of your rehearsals.
1: So sometimes you're dropping often.
4: I'm dropping people in. I'm sure you guys have. Yes, done, oh, two yeah, God. Some, After two weeks of rehearsal, this turn of the screw that I'm doing now, I've done it with this leading lady twice before, but she's playing in Prince Igor in San Francisco. She's only been <laughs> at four rehearsals in three. And she comes to the piano dress the day after tomorrow, and she'll be that'll be fine. But it's not easy for an ensemble. And yeah. the
5: chorus time—that <laughs> was the six hours a day. Inclusive. If you need includes yeah. the chorus time right. and when you're directing a huge chorus, then the principals, when they have to be on stage with them, those three hours go to the chorus mostly. they're there, but
4: and sometimes at the okay. Met on those days, the principals don't want
1: to show up. Yeah. One of the, okay. And, and you've sort of talked about this before, but again, um, how much of the time is moving people around and how much time do you actually get to work on, let's say, motivation or want of a better term? I mean, I, I know you've, you've spoken, you've spoken, all of you have spoken about this a little bit more specifically. I think it's, up to, I mean,
5: it's up to you. I mean, you work, those six hours when I direct, I demand they're mine. They're just mine. <laughs> Nobody gets mine. it. There is the, there is a the conductor who usually conducts the companies is playing, and we're working together. But so far, and again, I, I don't have the, the length of years of experience of Mark and, and Rhoda. Those six hours are mine, absolutely. And I'm very, very protective of them. And so that we work musically, always musically, of course. Uh, but the first week is all stop and go, and what do you, you know I work like mark I, I i would like them to take the initiative so that it is so that it's organic and comfortable for them and all those six hours are dedicated to just that why here why there they've had their two hours uh, in the morning or in the afternoon or they have different hours of coaching away from the rehearsal those six hours are just for staging but you know
4: movement is motivation yes Isn't just, so just
1: movement say. is motivation well, yeah. I, 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 I mean, just, I, I, and, and I'm not saying yeah. that to talk down
4: to you. It sounds so aphoristic, but yeah. it just you can you can kill that bird with that stone by by just by just making sure that you're all in sync about where the the singer should move or how he or she should move or if in fact he or she should move at that moment, which is a big part of it. Because one of the interesting things I think about staging anything is the tension between stasis and fluidity. Don't you? I mean, it's yeah. When when is it still and when does it move? Is is one of the constant sort of joys of discovering, no matter what no matter what I'm doing. And that I think you can you can in opera you're you're on your feet. Wouldn't you say? I mean you, you rarely sort of sit down and sort of let everybody go ahead. You're you're always there because you've got those things. Three fast hours to get quite a lot done, and then the sopranos leaving for Buenos Aires tomorrow, and she won't be back for a week. And the <laughs> tenor is singing to Pinkertons, and so he's going out of these performances, etc., etc. And on top of that, some of the cover singers may go on someday. So you are directing two or three versions of the same thing, and you try to give them some difference, of, you know, uh, to make it feel like it's their own.
5: The, the time is divided. I'm directing two casts for Pagliacci. I just thought, and yes, I have four weeks, but it's four weeks with two casts, so you really have two weeks.
1: One last, the last one that we have to let people... We remount it. Do or... Oh,
5: remount
2: it. I Remount, yeah. I'm, I'm, Well, from the, the people I know who have to do that, a thing I don't think anyone would want to do, you are locked into lighting plots. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. can't just say, well, gee, I think that was, may have been ill-advised, and let's try this, because the lighting plot stays, because the amount of time, I can only really talk about City Opera, which is the company I know that does this, right. but I, that I most intimately know, uh, you, you can't relight something. So you're sort of locked in, but you talk about motivation. I know in Chicago you can did and play with it a little in terms of perhaps motivation, but not in terms of the traffic of it, because the chorus comes in, and you know, when I worked in San Francisco, you rehearse the chorus three months ahead of time, which is amazing, and then they're brought in with the principal. I don't know, I don't, uh, I don't happen to think that that's a very good idea, because you're talking to a group of people, fifty people, and saying, uh, you know, Riri Grist is over there. Yeah. No, she ain't she's she's in Germany actually. And and it's it's it, they had to do that because of their building because they couldn't get appropriate time with the forest in that building. So it's very it's very difficult. It can be difficult. But you don't have much freedom, I don't
5: believe it. I, I've never done it Thank you. Do you, do you, do you do I think you've done done it, it. right? You've done
4: it. At At the Met, you may not change a lighting cue. You don't get another technical rehearsal. You may not change the chorus blocking or the super blocking. Any change you make, either costume or physical blocking, has to get approved by Joe Bolte. Mm
3: -hmm.
4: You can make subtle subtle relationship changes, but uh, that's about it. It's, and it can be challenging within so right. those, right.
1: those, right. those parameters. We'll Why? Uh-huh. Why? Why? Oh, I think, they can. I think we must let them go because
0: of dinner plans. <laughs> Thank you for listening to SDCF Masters of the Stage. This program was made possible by support from Stage Directors and Choreographer Society, the National Labor Union celebrating five decades representing the needs and aspirations of its members, and generous funding from the NEA, the New York State Council on the Arts, and the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council.